Right, I'm going to pray and then get going. Holy Spirit, Lord, we invite your presence once again. We want to declare as we open your word that this is a place of your presence. Holy Spirit, come. Reveal yourself afresh to us through your word by your spirit, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, very good morning to you. If I haven't managed to meet you yet, my name is John. And, and just before we get going, I want to say two things. One is a big hello to the guys in the restricted view seats over here. I bet you're incredibly glad that I'm preaching. We're going to need to figure something out for Pete when he's here. Get a little box for him or something for him to, oh, gosh, that didn't go down well. Oh, a risque joke to start with. The second thing is this. For the last 12 years or so, well, before the pandemic, we as a staff team would gather every week for our staff prayers. We would write things that we are wanting to contend for up on a board, and we had a weird little theology for a number of years where we would circle it. We'd circle it because we'd want to walk around and contend for those things in the spirit and say, Lord, would you make these things come to pass? And every week without fail, normally it was Colin Hamilton, would come straight out the blocks with future home, future home. We want to contend for a future home, somewhere where we can call home as a church and we're in it. It's unbelievable we're in it. So that prayer, it will continue, but it'll look slightly different. Um, so yeah, anyway, despite the excitement of today, I'm continuing our series, Name Above All Names, this wonderful little series that has a very simple aim, to reveal, to explore who God says he is, not who we say he is, not who we want him to be, not some projection of our greatness onto him, who does God say he is? And throughout scripture, there are these moments that puncture through the story, they puncture through the narrative, which itself, by the way, also reveals who God is. But these moments where God introduces himself to his people and says, this is who I am. This is who I am. And names are profound at the simplest of times, right? They carry meaning. They carry identity. They speak of belonging. They mean something to most people most of the time. Just three examples of that. First of all, my name is John Carter. Now, I share that name. Wow, it's a great crowd today. I share that name with the 2012 Disney flop under the same name, John Carter, a film about a veteran from the uh, American Civil War who found himself on Mars. You can see why it didn't do so well. In fact, it was the second biggest loss-making film ever. Absolutely gutting. And I went to the cinema on its release in 2012 with a group of friends. We had a John Carter party. I went there to the lady behind the booth with my driving license intact and said, this is my name. This is my moment. Can I please have a free ticket? To which she said, absolutely not. And it was utterly heartbreaking. My name meant absolutely nothing to this lady in that moment. And I didn't get to see a free film. In fact, we all got to see a terrible film and we all had to pay for it. Similarly, many, many people go on our website and assume that Kath Carter and I must be siblings at best, married at worst, not worst, but you know what I mean. <laughs> and they are consistently disappointed by that assumption we're not related, we're not married, I'm happily married to Joe, but Kath is on the team and we get that question all the time. We carry the same name and yet the meaning of our name in that moment is misunderstood time and time again. And finally, Kayla. She's going to hate me for saying this. She's our cap center manager here at KXC. She joined the team last year. Now, for about two weeks after she joined the team, I consistently and repeatedly called her Kaylee. 
Now, what's so silly about that, I assume that was what her name was. I got it completely wrong. There isn't a single person in the US where she's from or in England with that name. There is not a single person with the name Kaylee, but I just went for it. I went for Kaylee. I thought that was what her name was. She didn't correct me. Two weeks later, she said, my name's not Kaylee. My name's Kayla, and we had an incredibly awkward exchange. For the next few weeks, she called me Jan. Sometimes she still calls me Jan. I completely misunderstood her name, her identity. Names carry meaning. Names matter to people at the simplest of times. So when God reveals his name, we should pay attention to it. We should ask the question, what is going on in this moment? And we know that God reveals himself fully in the person of Jesus. His name, Yeshua, literally means to deliver, to save. His identity is in his name. He works in the world today in and through his church by his spirit, the paraclete, which means to draw alongside It means the advocate, the helper. His identity is in his name. But there are moments with the people of God in the Old Testament where until this point, he has felt like a completely unknowable God. He has a name. He has a name, Yahweh. I am who I am. And he goes further. He goes on to reveal his very nature in these compound names that we're going through in this series. And this should matter to us. It should matter to us. This isn't a history lesson. This is an introduction. This is an introduction to the creator of the universe in series. But here's what's even more important. It's not just an introduction. I honestly believe it's an invitation. It's an invitation to respond to that kind of God. That is what we're being invited into. And we're going to be camped out in the book of Exodus today, as we are for many of these names. And Paul writing to the church in Corinth in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians, hundreds of years later, he says this of these scriptures that we're about to read. Are you ready for some real talk? Thank you, Damalola. (laughs) This is the message translation. It doesn't pull its punches. This is what it says. Remember our history, friends. Remember our history. Remember our story. All our ancestors were led by the providential cloud and taken miraculously through the sea. They went through the waters in a baptism like ours as Moses led them from enslaving death to salvation life. They all ate and drank identical food and drank meals provided daily by God. Miraculous stuff. They drank from the rock. God's fountain for them. It stayed with them wherever they were and the rock was Christ. But just experiencing God's wonder and grace didn't seem to mean much. Most of them were defeated by temptation during hard times in the desert, and God was not pleased. Damning. The same thing could happen to us. It's a cheery start, isn't it? The same thing could happen to us. These are all warning markers. Danger, capital letters, is literally what Eugene Peterson does when he writes this. Danger. In our history books, written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our positions in the story are parallel. They are at the beginning, we are at the end, and we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. Don't be naive. Don't be self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It is utterly useless. Cultivate God confidence. (laughs) Heavy. But there's the invitation to cultivate God confidence. We cultivate confidence because of who we know him to be. He is a God who is mighty. He is a God who is good. He is a God who wants to save, who has done incredible things in our midst and will continue to. We need to cultivate God 
confidence. Moses says to God at the beginning of this story, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I that I'm meant to lead these people? And God says, no, 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 you've got it completely wrong. Not who are you, who am I? Who am I? When you say, who am I, you're asking the wrong question. Who is God? Who is God? Not self-confidence, but God-confidence. And that should be phenomenally good news for us. I just want to name that. That shouldn't be something that puts us down. That should be phenomenally good news. For those with very high self-confidence in the room, I know there are a few, more than you are due. I want to say this, you are more fragile than you could ever know or imagine. You are more fragile than you could know. And for those with chronically low self-confidence, and I know there are actually many more of those in this room, I want to say this. You have a more loving, a more powerful God than you could ever, ever imagine. That is what counts. This series is about an invitation into a greater level of dependence, a greater level of reliance, of trust on a God who cares so deeply for you that he would send his son to die in your place. That is what he has done so that a world would be fully, fully in relationship, restored, renewed in relationship with him so that you can declare with confidence that he's won, that he's done it. There isn't a battle left to fight. He has done it. Who are you? That's completely the wrong question. It's completely the wrong question. Who is he? Who is he? And that's what this series is. So we're going to jump into it. Exodus 15, uh, verses 22 to 27. And Jen's going to come up and read it for us. Um, Let's give Jen a little whoop whoop. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was so bitter. And that's why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where, they were, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Amazing. Thank you. This is the word of the Lord. An amazing passage, an amazing little story where God reveals another part of his name, his nature, Yahweh Rafi. Yahweh Rafi, I am the Lord who heals you. And there is so much that we could get into and explore, but here's my sense for us this morning is that there there truly is an invitation. And for there to be an invitation, you have to have time to respond. An invitation into the very nature of God revealed in this passage into the reality that he heals, that he heals. It's not that he wants to heal, he heals. That is why we're here. He is in our midst. And so I want to spend a very relatively short period of time unpacking this passage, this text, so that we can have longer in ministry and just see what the Spirit might want to do among us. Now, Pete said before that the vision of King's House, part of that is that this is a place, a house 
of hospitality and of healing. We want to take that seriously. I don't think it's an accident that the one and the first week we step into this place, we're unpacking what it means to have a healing God. And that isn't just intellectual knowledge. It isn't even just something that should hit us. It is something that we should experience. And so we want to create time today to spend time on that. But here's what I want to take from this passage today. I want us to take from this passage. We are fragile followers in need of a good God. It's very simple. We're fragile followers in need of a good God. Fragile followers, more broken, more hurt than we could ever imagine. Remember, Paul, forget self-confidence. It is utterly useless. If you have confidence in yourself right now, it's useless. I'm sorry to be the breaker of bad news to you. It's utterly useless. But we're in need of, and crucially, we are met by a good God. A God who by his very nature is a healer. So we're fragile followers. It's, it's hard to see the punch of this passage when we read it in isolation. Because until now, the story of the people of God is utterly crazy. It is so intense. They were living under Egyptian rule. And Moses leads them out of slavery after these ten plagues that hit the people of Egypt. And with the Egyptian army chasing them. The wheels of the chariots rattling towards them. They come face to face with the Red Sea. They're trapped. It's a dead end. It's over. It was all for nothing. But Moses, a man of God, a man of faith, he's already had this debate with God. And his faith is astounding. He says to his people, do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring today. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. And Yahweh says, why don't you raise your staff over the water, over the sea, and what can only be imagined as the most dramatic sight seeable, this ocean parts. Just just have a little moment there. Like we've all heard the story. Many of us would have been in Sunday school years ago and heard this story. It is insane. An entire sea was split in two so that an entire nation could walk through it. 16 kilometers wide, this ocean was split in two. Just have that for a minute in your head. That is insane. The impossible has been made possible. And in a journey that took all night, again, it wasn't just walk through a couple of minutes onto the other side. That was fun, wasn't it? Here come the Egyptian army. Bang, they're gone. It took them all night to get to the other side. Walking along the bed of the sea to the other bank, they scramble up to watch the Egyptian army completely obliterated. God is good. They have been delivered. They erupt with joy. They erupt with joy. We go back to the beginning of chapter 15, and they smash out this worship hit of their day. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted so far, so good. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Little off piece, fine. This is an incredible picture of God's power, of his goodness, so huge. It is beyond words. It's beyond words. Think how much of your faith journey is wrapped up in doubts about whether God truly wants to lead you to good places. Just think about your own experience. Think about your own story. Think about your own faith. How much of it is wrapped up in doubts, which are totally fine, by the way. But how much of it is wrapped up in doubts about whether he truly wants to lead you to good places? Think of cultural conversations about whether God exists, about the secularization of society. Think about the the, the debate about whether Jesus was the son of God. And then think about a nation walking through a sea, 
an unrefutable, overwhelming picture of God's power, let alone his existence. That's what we're debating. They have an unrefutable, unchallengeable demonstration of his power, of his goodness. And then we fast forward, and here's the key piece for us. We fast forward three days, two verses, two verses in the Bible to this response. So the people grumbled. The people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? What a handbrake turn. They've just walked through an ocean. Three days later, two verses later, what are we to drink? Absolute grumblers. And I'll be honest, honestly, I read this, I feel angry. I feel angry. Like, my empathy levels for Moses just go through the ceiling. He's like, can you not just see what's happened? Can you see where we've just walked? Can you see the journey we've been on? Can you see what God is doing? Can you see how he's revealed himself? What is wrong with you? Why are you still grumbling? Why are you doing this? Can you not even go a few days without finding something, something to complain about? And then we realize we've missed this simple piece of context in those two verses. For three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. We skip over that. Three days, of course, it's fine. They've seen an amazing thing. Three days, they can do it three days. They'll be fine. Just imagine that for a moment. Three days of no water in a desert, aimlessly walking in search of something, anything that quenches their growing thirst. Think of this long train of carts, of people, of your kids, of your family, of your friends, all parched, gasping for life. Anywhere. They'll take anything. They were so fragile. They were so fragile. God delivered them, but they were so fragile. And I honestly think, this is my conviction, there'll be many in this room, you've seen the goodness of God, you've seen his healing, you've seen his breakthrough, you've seen him do amazing things. Maybe it's just the slow work of God in your life. You've seen him do things. It is unrefutable, it's unquestionable. God is a good God, but you feel broken. You feel dehydrated. You've had your walking through the Red Sea moment and you feel dehydrated gasping for life. What am I to drink? I can't go on like this. Something, anything has to change. And I feel like the Father would want to say over you today, it's not, it's, it's okay. It's okay. You're not going crazy. It's okay. You're okay. It's all right that you feel that. If you're feeling fragile right now, that is an invitation into a greater level of dependence on him. That is what they were being invited into. And maybe more importantly, if you're not feeling fragile right now, This story is a testament to the fact that you are pretty fragile. You're pretty fragile. You and me, we are fragile. Either way, there's an invitation, an invitation to know more of his goodness. You see, Yahweh, he doesn't just leave them there. He doesn't just hear the grumbles that come through Moses up to him and say, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Just wait another couple of days. I'm going to be there. I'll be there. He doesn't abandon them in their fragility. He meets them in it. He provides for them in it. He heals them in it. This story, it ends with a picture of abundance, right? It ends in this picture of Elam, a place of water springs, of palm trees with shade from the blistering sun with clean, sweet water. But before they get there, Before they get there, the Lord reveals that he is a healer. A physical healer for their bodies, absolutely. 
But it means so much more than that. This word refi, it's about restoration. It's about wholeness. It's about reconciliation. David writes in Psalms, in Psalm 103, he says, He who forgives all your sins and heals your diseases. His physical healing is wrapped up in who he is as a savior. He says this in Psalm 147, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. If you're feeling brokenhearted right now, God is a healer. He wants to heal you. He is the God who heals you in your fragility. Physical healing, for sure. Emotional healing, absolutely. Spiritual healing. Sexual healing. I actually, do you know what? Sorry, 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 sorry. Okay. I lay in bed last night and I thought that would be a funny gag. And then I thought it would lose the moment if I did it. It lost the moment when I did it. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. That's also partially a joke and also partially not. He's a God who wants to meet you in your fragility. True story. He wants to meet you in your fragility. There's something fun about this story is that God never actually heals their dehydration, right? They are crying out for water, and he doesn't just make them hydrated. They're not just okay again. He heals the water in the land so that it was sweet, so that it was well, so that it was water that would give life. We so often come with a need, a presenting need, something that we say, Lord, would you come and do this? Do you know what? He probably does want to do it, but he probably wants to do something deeper. He probably wants to do something different in your life. What are you most in need of right now? What are you most in need of right now? Not, not surface-level wants, not surface-level desires. What do you need? What's the cry of your heart right now? What do you need him to deliver on? What do you need him to restore? What do you need him to heal? And I honestly think there's a, an invitation into a deeper level of dependency, a deeper level of trust, an invitation into healing. You're more fragile than you could ever know. You're more broken, more hurt than you could ever imagine. But he is an unbelievable God. He is so much better, so much more good, so much kinder, so much more loving than you could ever dream possible. Amen.